We are so delighted and honored today to have two of Southern Baptist's most dedicated and faithful missionaries, uh, Wayne and Ellie Bridgman. They have served in Central Asia for 30 years, I think, about 30 years, and they will soon be returning uh, for about two more years, and then they plan to retire. Um, Wayne is a graduate of Southern Seminary, uh, was on staff at um, oh, near Dixie Highway. What's the name of that church? Rockford Lane Baptist Church, yes, yes, uh, Rockford Lane Baptist Church. Was on staff there for a period of time, and then uh, he and Ellie were called to the mission field, and uh, we give thanks to God for their dedicated service. He has written a book about their journey with the Lord, and it is entitled Struggling with God in the Distant Islands. Struggling with God in the Distant Islands. We share a common grief uh, they lost a son about 13 years ago in a car accident while he was a student at Campbellsville. And uh, Linda and I, of course, lost our son Daniel back in October. And it was so good to get a call from Greg and be encouraged. And he said, brother, we'll pray with you. We'll cry with you. We'll walk together with you in this time. And that has meant so very, very much. So... Uh, the book is like, what, 10 bucks? About 10 bucks. And whatever you give for the book will go to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. They do not keep this money. This goes on to the mission field. So uh, that's the deal. We have about 10 copies here. There are more in the car if we need them. But I encourage you to get a copy. Chapter 9 uh, of this book um, tells their story of the loss of their son. And so... Uh, we share that grief in common. It's so good to have you here today. I'm so excited after hearing Angelina sing, and uh, I just want to preach, but I'm going to do my best to listen and, and to pray for you. So would you join me in welcoming and honoring Southern Baptist finest missionaries, Wayne and Ellie Mae um, Bridgman. Here's, here's Ellie Mae. That's funny. You know, we wanted to come. We are so excited to be here because you are a famous place. Ekron Baptist Church has the name of Ekron Baptist Church is now all over the mission field. We heard the story of a little girl who gave her birthday money to Lottie Moon. <laughs> and it made us cry because as long as, you know, we come back to the United States. We've been gone 35 years. Some people don't even know who Lottie Moon is. Some people don't even care what missionaries are. But we have lived where we live for 35 years, and we are happy to be there, and we are happy to be going back. But we want you to see who, who we are so you can recognize us, because we want you to know that you belong to us. Praise God. There's still people that care about what's happening in the world. And you belong to us, and we belong to you, so we wanted you to be able to recognize us. And that's one thing that the people in our country don't do to Jesus. They don't recognize him. They've been taught that he's a prophet. They don't recognize him as God who came in the flesh for salvation. So that's why we are happy to be there to work with you, to explain to them who he is, give our testimony of how he has changed our lives and how he can give salvation. You know, the last, um, when COVID hit, it hit there too. 
And in March, March the 17th, I'll always remember, they came and they said, you know, if you all will just stay in your houses for two weeks, just shut her up in your house, get your food, don't go out. And if you go out, wear these silly little mask things for two weeks. Then, if when y'all get sick, then we have enough medical personnel to take care of you, which is really funny, because the medical facilities in the country where I live is kind of laughable at best anyway. But a whole year later, we stayed there till August, and then we came back to the United States for a while. This was our stateside assignment that we had planned before. But it, from July to August, those 30 days, there was 30 men who came to faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, the country I live, I don't even know, I, I never know what what words I'm supposed to say and not say, but you can kind of expect where they might be if they, if they think of Jesus as their prophet. And it's very unusual for men and a lot of men to come to faith in Jesus Christ at the same time. There's two older men who came, it almost sounds like, like in the scripture, they came at night to one of the church planters to ask who Jesus is, and they were saved. I just came to report to you from the field that things are happening. Please pray. This is a this is a very special time in history. And people's eyes are being opened who that haven't had their eyes open before to recognize who Jesus is. So we just came to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you and let you see what a real live missionary looks like until because if we've been there 35 years, we never know when we're going to be real dead missionaries, right? <laughs> so I'm going to go and let Wayne speak to you. Thank you, Ellie, and it's good to be with you today at Ekron Baptist Church. We want to, uh, like Shelly, uh, Ellie's already done, she has uh, given thanks for y'all's uh, faithfulness in giving to Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You know, that's what keeps us there. It's about almost 70% of the operating budget uh, comes from Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It pays our salaries, it buys our car, it pays for our gas. We put it in our car, it, it pays for the rent in the house that we live in. So it's done that for 35 years. So you can imagine how grateful we are to Southern Baptists for giving to that uh, offering, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. This year... The goal is $175 million. That's a lot of money. So if you want to make out a check right now, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering to, for $175 million, I can't even imagine how that looks. But uh, we do uh, appreciate your faithfulness in giving. And this morning, what I would like to do is just share with you uh, from the Word of God, from the book of Isaiah, Probably one of my favorite books out of the Bible. I've been reading through Isaiah just this uh, past uh, few days, last few weeks. And uh, the last chapter in the book of Isaiah is one of those passages that kind of goes under the radar, but it's probably one of the clearest passages on missions in the entire Bible. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 66. And in Isaiah chapter 66, what the prophet is doing is that he is uh, prophesying. Well, what does it mean to prophesy? Well, there are two aspects of the prophet's role in the Bible. First of all, he was a foreteller, just like preachers are today. They, they 
foretell the Word of God. They preach the Word of God for a specific time and place. And yet another aspect of the prophet's role was not only foretelling, but foretelling. And that means they were able to get to be given by the Holy Spirit this ability to look down through the centuries to come and with pinpoint accuracy be able to describe what was going to happen. We see that in chapter 7 with the birth of Jesus. And then in chapter 53, he prophesies about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And in chapter 66, he does something very, very interesting. He talks about judgment. And you can read about that judgment that he talks about, that last judgment. And he uses the same language that our Lord Jesus used to describe the lake of fire. And you can read that in the last few verses of chapter 66 of the book of Isaiah. But in the midst of that prophecy about future judgment, there was a message of hope. And I want us to focus in on verse 19. Just one verse here this morning. Because it contains about what's going to happen. That Isaiah foresaw it, this age to come. In the, in the last days, Paul, the apostle that we read about in the New Testament, launched this missionary endeavor. And then you and I participate in it. And it's remarkable how God is in the midst of remaking the world. And that's exactly what he's going to talk about in chapter 66, verse 19. Let me read it with you. In verse 19, it says, I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans, and Lydian, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will, they will proclaim my glory among the nations. Great passage. Four things that I want to bring out of this passage. And I'm going to start out by just asking questions and then address those questions. Who is it he's talking about here? That's the one that, that, that perhaps is the one that is most veiled or hard to understand. He talks about those that are survivors. What does it mean to be a survivor? He's talking about those that have been saved. You and I who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And out of that group, he calls the survivors, those that have been saved. Some of them will be sent as foreign missionaries to go to places like Libya and then Tubal. And the one I like is to the distant islands. And this is the part that I want us to focus in on. And that who is it that God is sending out to these Far away places, these distant islands. What he's talking about is he's talking about foreign missions, cross-cultural ministry, where you learn a different language, study a different culture. And let me just start out by saying God is not calling everybody to do that. He's calling all of us to participate and work together, and we appreciate your role in giving. But at the same time, God is in the midst of calling out many, many people to go to the foreign field. We just uh, heard that there are eight couples, eight units that are going to be going to our area of the world to serve. And they're getting ready to go to what we call FPO, which is the um, place where we train our missionaries before they're sent out. And they spend about two or three months in orientation and training. And that's, that's eight units. 
that God is calling out. Back in November of this past year, in 2020, in the midst of all the COVID and all the fear going on, in Auburn, Alabama, there were, there were four, let me, let me get this right, there were 79 units that were commissioned by the International Mission Board to be sent out. What's that tell you? That God is in the process of fulfilling this prophecy that he gave in chapter 66, verse 19, that he's calling out a remnant of, this, of, this, of these survivors that have been saved by His redeeming blood of the Lamb, and that some of them are going to be sent out to these places called uh, Tubal in Libya and to the distant islands. We're not all called to be foreign missionaries. You can kind of just take a deep breath. Don't worry. I'm not trying to recruit you. However, it could it be the Lord may be working in your heart. Maybe, maybe young people, students, you know, after you graduate, you may be thinking, what in the world do I do? What a better place to go in a place and serve as a foreign missionary for two years under the journeyman program. You may be 50 and think, well, my career's about over. I'm thinking about retirement. But we have what's called the master's plan. And you can go out and serve for three-year term and go under the master's plan and serve the Lord and, and glorify his name in the latter years of his life. The great thing about the IMB, we have all kinds of avenues all kind of ways that you can serve the, the Lord overseas in cross-cultural ministries. No, God doesn't call everybody. He calls us all to be fishers of men, doesn't he? He calls us all to be a witness. You know, that's not just the pastor's job. That's all of our job. But one thing he does, he's in the midst of looking for a few special people that are special type of folks, young ladies, Young men, maybe middle age, maybe older, that are being called out to give their lives to foreign missions. And that's what he's talking about here. He's fulfilling this prophecy that we're a part. That's exciting for me, Brother Tom, to know that, that we are fulfilling this prophecy that, that, the, that the prophet Isaiah was foretelling that was going to happen in the latter times or in the last days god is going to send out now where is he sending them to i've already mentioned a couple places there's one i want to address and that is that last part of uh, well it's in the middle part of verse 19 he talks about going to tarshish libyans lydians famous archers to tubal to greece and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory well let me just show you from the globe that tom wanted me to kind of display here i'm looking right now at the united states it shows washington dc and then it shows the, all the other states and uh, to, to get an idea of how far away it is that we serve if you take your arms and just put it around the globe looking at the united states and where my fingers touch right there is about where we serve that's halfway around the world, isn't it? That's about 10,000 miles from here. That's a long way. Well, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about those that are being sent out to do what? To preach the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to those that have not heard of his fame or seen his glory. God is in the process of sending out foreign missionaries 
ambassadors for Christ to those distant islands. We have in our country where I serve what are called unreached people groups. Now that is a segment within a nation of distinct uh, nations or ethnic groups that have their own culture, their own language, and we have many that are less than 2%. And we have 43 what are called unengaged, unreached people groups. That means they have absolutely no way to hear the gospel. None. No churches, no known believers. That's 43 in our, own, our, our country alone. 43 unengaged, unreached people groups that have absolutely no way to hear the gospel. Think about the numerous ways and opportunities that you have as a believer in the United States to hear the gospel in your own language. Think about the number of churches you passed on the way to church this morning. Uh, I, you know, we came from Louisville, so we passed, I bet we passed 20 churches, or if not more. All kinds of churches, all kinds of opportunities to hear the gospel in our own language. If you don't go to a worship service, you can hear it online, you can hear it uh, through the radio and TV. And yet there are those areas in the country that we serve, 43 of these ethnic groups that have absolutely no way to hear the gospel in their own language. And that's where, folks, that's where God is sending these people to. He's putting these people into strategic areas so that they may be proclaimers of his word. And that's what it tells us what they're going to do. Look at what it tells us in that third part, and that is, what is their role? Why are they being sent to these foreign nations so far away? Don't they have their own religion? Don't they have their own kind of culture? Why is it God is sending out missionaries? He tells us in that verse. Look again at verse 19. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. Well, the, the great part about it is that last part. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. You know what happens when you proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. That there is that power in the gospel that transforms the hearts of people that hear it. And when that happens, God is made known. You know what that means? That means God is glorified. And God is glorified among the nations when his gospel is proclaimed in a foreign language. Let me just tell you, it's hard to speak a foreign language. I, I have trouble in English. And yet, God uses his servant that is completely surrendered to him. I can remember going to my first assignment and preaching a sermon on Adam and Eve and how God drove them out of the Garden of Eve, uh, Garden of Eden because of sin. And in the language that I use, the word Garden of Eden is very similar to the word for insane asylum. And because I misused it, I had God driving Adam and Eve out of the insane asylum that morning. And I could tell I had missed it because everybody was laughing at what I was saying. And yet, it's been a glorious 35 years. And serving. We've had a lot of frustrations, but you know what makes it all worthwhile? Did you hear what Ellie said just a minute ago? What makes it worthwhile? All the frustrations. Listen, we got heat. You wouldn't believe it. You know, it, you're sweating year-round, and electricity goes out. You have no way of getting cool. We have mosquitoes that carry malaria and dinghy fever. I've had dinghy fever two times in the area that we serve, and it knocks the breath out of you. We have rats bigger than cats. And you know what? 
And, and we, get, we get crossways sometimes with our national partners and sometimes even with our IMB colleagues. And you know what makes it all worthwhile is what Ellie was saying is when someone comes to faith in Christ, comes out of that false religion, and comes to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone. That's what makes it all worthwhile. And I think of what John Piper said in his book, Let the Nations Rejoice. John Piper wrote that book probably 25 years ago, and it's a classic right now. And what did he mean by that? Let the nations rejoice. He was saying that when the nations, those ethnic groups, come to faith in Jesus Christ, you know what they do? They rejoice. Why do they rejoice? They rejoice because of the forgiveness of sin that comes to them by placing their faith and hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his atoning work by being raised by the dead from the dead. And because of that, they rejoice. And that's why he says, let them rejoice. Because you know what happens when people come to faith like that? God is lifted up. God is made known. God is glorified. And that's what he's saying in verse 19. In that last verse, that last part of verse 19, read it again. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. The great thing about what's happening among the nations is that God is in the process of reversing the results of the fall. In the fall, you read about it, in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, and it brought a curse on the land, it brought curse upon the woman in childbirth, she would be cursed, and it brought curse on the man who had to work by the sweat of his brow, and then it brought curse on the evil one, on the serpent, which is the devil. And yet, in the midst of that, if you have ever noticed, this is the first prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. First prophecy of the coming of the Savior, the Messiah. Notice what it says in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, Jesus, will crush your head, the sa Satan, the serpent, and you will strike his heel. What on earth is he talking about here? He's talking about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The book of Hebrews talks, talks about how Jesus will destroy the works of the devil. How did he do it? It was through his death upon the cross, sacrificial death upon the cross, where it seemed like it was, it was definite defeat. But because of his glorious resurrection, he defeated the work of the devil. You see what Isaiah is doing here? He's foreseeing that. And he's talking about the reversal of the fall of man. Not only on the, this earth, which is broken. All you got to do is look at the news and know that the earth, this earth, this globe we live on is broken. And it needs redeeming. And that, that, that mankind is broken. And yet God is in the midst of redeeming us. He's in the midst of reversing the results of this fall. And... I can't think of a better passage than in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that talks about this and about the role that you have in it and I have in it and God's role and, and Satan's role as well because what he's talking about in chapter 4 of the book of 2 Corinthians, he's talking about a spiritual battle. Most people, even Christians, in the United States, when they look at the world, you know what they see? They see it, this world, they kind of 
think of it as a playground. That this world exists to bring us as much pleasure and entertainment as we can possibly derive from it. And there are many Christians that kind of buy into that. That that's what this world is. It's a playground. We need to find as much fun and entertainment and pleasure as we can. Let me tell you something. That's not the way the scriptures look at the world. You know how the world or how the world is perceived through the eyes of the Lord and through his holy word. It's seen not as a playground but as a battleground. And in chapter 4 of the book of 2 Corinthians, it lets us know what our role in this battle is. Because there is a battle that is being waged for the souls of men and women right now. And how do we tie into that? What's our role in that? Well, the first thing he clarifies, if you look at verse 4, he clarifies what the role of the evil one is. Look at verse 4, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's the role of the evil one. His role is to use the philosophies of men, to use the religions of this world, false religions, to blind the minds and, and spiritual eyes of lost people. Think about how Satan in the United States has used secularism, has used materialism, has used rationalism to blind the eyes of lost people and keep them in that state. And that's exactly what the role of Satan is. Now, what's our role? This is the good news. This should encourage you in what our role is in this spiritual battle. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You know what that says? It says that very clearly our role is proclamation of the gospel. Our role is to take the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to make it known to others personally. That's all of our job. Proclamation, sharing the gospel with others should be the church's highest priority because that's our role, to point to Jesus just like John the Baptist's role was clear. He pointed others to Jesus. I'm not the one you're looking for. There he is. He's the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. That's our role, to point to Jesus. Now notice what God's role is. Verse 6, this is all tied in together in that passage out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 6, what it says about God's role. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about it's, it's God's role. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms the hearts of lost people. It's God who opens up the eyes. We call that regeneration and and Ellie talked about it a minute ago, about those older men that came and wanted to know about who this was, this Jesus was. And somehow, even though they were raised in, in the throes of another religion, God opened up their hearts. God made in their spiritual hearts to be, see the glory of God that shines and emanates forth from the very face of Jesus Christ. That's called regeneration. And it's a miracle. And that's God's row. And we're all tied into this together. What happens when we proclaim the gospel? God works. Sometimes he brings people to faith. Sometimes they reject it. But our row is clear. 
to point people to Jesus. And then as we move on, if you go back to chapter 6, we're going to look not only at what our message is as those that have been sent to places on the other side of the world and our row here, even in the United States, but notice the results. I always want to know the results. Bottom line, ha- what has happened because of this ministry? Well, he describes it. And he describes it in that last part of verse 19, and then you go into verse 20. That last part of 19 is great. I've read it several times, but it deserves to be read again for clarification. They will proclaim my glory among the nations, and they will bring all your brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and wagons, on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremonially clean vessels. And I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites, says the Lord. What is he talking about here? He's talking about spiritual awakening happening even in the nations. Even in those places, those distant islands, we're going to see so many people coming to faith. We're going to see a people movement of epic proportions. When people hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is going to quicken their hearts. And notice all those modes of transportation he's talking about. Mules and camels. He's listing all the modes of transportation. Didn't have any airplanes back then. Didn't have any buses or trucks. He listened to everything that came to his mind. He said, so many people are going to be coming to faith that we need all these modes of transportation to bring them into the city of God, into the glory of God for his glory and for his honor. That's what spiritual awakening is all about. You know what I've been praying for since really before the COVID broke out in March like Ellie shared about and we were shuttered up in our houses. We we started praying with groups like uh, Tom, Bill Elif and, and, uh, and Byron Hollis on One Cry. And then we started praying with some of our pastors where we serve. And you know what we prayed for? We're praying for revival among the churches here in the United States in the places where we serve. And we're praying not only for revival, but for spiritual awakening. You see, revival is when God wakens up a sleepy church. A church that must awaken from their slumber. God wakes them up. That's what happens. Tim Keller says, that's what happens in revival. God awakens the church. Number two, he saves nominal Christians. You realize how many nominal Christians we have in the United States of America? Think about it. We have over 14 million Southern Baptists. We don't even know where half of them are. Why is that? We've lost their addresses. And I'm thinking that probably a good portion of those don't know the Lord personally. Their hearts have never been generated. They've been, they've been baptized, they've joined churches, but their, their hearts have never been transformed by the power of God. There are a lot of people like that. But you know what happens in revival and spiritual awakening? God wakens the church from its slumber. God saves those that are nominal Christians. And here's the great part. God saves and opens up the eyes spiritually of those that are outside of the church. You realize one of the fasting growing religions in America, you know what it is? Nuns. And I'm not talking about the little gals that wear the havocs in the Catholic monasteries. 
Nuns mean they have absolutely no religion. They're atheists, at best maybe agnostics, but that percentage grows more and more. And those are the ones that we need to be praying for because most of them are found in the millennial and zillennial generation, the X generation, those people from 16 to about 30 years of age. And the majority of them are, do not know the Lord. 4% maybe are true disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to be praying for revival, folks. That's why we need to be praying, Lord, do it again like you did back in 1970 when the Jesus movement took place in the United States. When things were going south politically, we were having demonstrations on campuses, rioting in our streets. There was dissension. There was hatred among different races. And there were protests, political hatred and, and division and backbiting. backbiting. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? That was happening in 68, 69, and then the Jesus movement took place. And that was called the last, that's the last spiritual awakening the United States have had. It had we've had five, but that's what happened. And that's when millions of young people came to faith, hippies and anti-war Vietnam War protesters and people that were burning their draft cards and people rioting in the streets. Many of them got saved during that time. Yours truly got saved in the latter part of the Jesus movement in 1975. I got saved. You know what we need to be praying for, church? At Ekron Baptist Church, we need to pray, God, do it again. Lord, send us another revival. Revive your church. Waken your church from its spiritual slumber. Lord, increase the number of those believers. If you're not going to do it here, do it in places like Iran and China and northern India. You realize that's where the church is growing the fastest right now in places like China and Iran, the world's largest Muslim nation. That's where the church is growing. And you know why? Because they're being persecuted. If you connect the dots between a growing church, and a surging amount of Christians coming, of people coming to faith in Jesus, it's because it's tied to persecution. What comes first? Persecution? Well, I think what comes first is revival. God revives his people to get ready for persecution. And then in the midst of person, persecution, they can, they can not only survive, they can thrive. They can proclaim with boldness. And as John and Peter, after they were whipped and, and, and they were punished because they were faithful to share the gospel in chapter 5 of Acts, you remember, they went out rejoicing <laughs> because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. You think you'd be part of that group? That if you suffered, you would be rejoicing? Most of us, I'm afraid, including me as well, We'd probably be griping. Lord, why would you allow that to happen to me? You know, you're supposed to be with, with us thick and th through thick and thin. You'll never leave us or forsake us. Why'd you let this happen? They didn't do that at all. They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And you know what happened? They were released, but they kept preaching the gospel. And the church kept growing in numbers. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I can't help but think you're preparing your church in places like the United States to be able to face persecution and opposition with a spiritual fortitude, with resilient faith that will carry them through difficult times. God, 
we ask for boldness in the midst of persecution for people like in China, Iran, northern India that are facing unbelievable persecution. Lord, strengthen their hands to the task. Give them boldness. And God, we pray that in places like the United States, in the country where I serve as well, Lord, I pray that you would send a revival. Revive our hearts. Refine our faith. Purify us so that we might be found worthy to serve you and to glorify your name. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.